On Saturday, the iPod turns 20. The iconic white MP3 player revolutionized the music industry while turning Apple's fortunes around. For this anniversary, I interviewed Tony Fidel, who invented the iPod, and talked about what it was like joining Apple to create such a groundbreaking device. Here's part one of our conversation. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. So first off, I actually didn't realize Apple still sells an iPod, an iPod Touch on its store. iPod Touch, yeah. Yeah, and so in an industry that's constantly evolving and constantly changing and embracing the new, how does it feel knowing that the 20-year-old iPod is somehow still alive and kicking? Well, it's it's great. It, it's really great. You know, the Mac has been around since the '80s, right? So, and it's still alive and kicking. So, having an iPod still around, um, you know, still marks you know 20 years ago when this all started. And so, it's great. You know, the company is a very different company from you know those 20 years. Most people, maybe you know, maybe a lot of the the listeners and viewers don't even know that iPods existed because they've grown up without them. You know, a lot of them, they grew up with only their iPhone as their first product. I know my kids did. Right. And so, so it's just really amazing how much change can happen um, in, in 20 years or even 10 years, you know, let's just go back 10 years after the iPod as well. So uh, it's, it's truly astounding and could never have imagined it turned all the way into this. And now Apple's the, the most valuable company in the world and has been for a while now. Right. And I'm curious if what your thoughts are on why the iPod has endured for so long. Well, I think the iPod, you know, it's kind of Walkman 2.0. If you grew up and you ever, you know, I was a teenager when the Walkman came out of 12 or 13, something like that. And it was like, it rocked your world. And you always went back and it was such an emotional attachment to something because it was, it empowered you to have your music the way you wanted it, take it anywhere with you. And it was yours. You're not sharing it with your brothers and sisters and your parents and all screaming about this over the home stereo. It was yours, right? And it wasn't just FM radio. It was your cassettes. And so, and mixed cassettes too. And so if you think of fast forward, what we did was we were able to do that again for a different generation and give them that same emotional suit and as emotional superpower for music uh, with the iPod. And that to me is just, it's just, it's wonderful to know that we were able to continue that. And it was such a touchstone for not just kids of that generation, but for, for all kinds of people, of all ages, you know, fashionistas and sports stars and Hollywood movie stars and, you know, all around the world, you know, you saw the white headphones coming out of their ears all around the, uh, around the globe. And, and so to imagine, um, you know, imagine that at the time when we were building that, but I could have never seen it, but then to see it actually happen and take root, that's what's so, you know, it, it feels really good. And I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, still remember those iPod days. Like it was, it was truly a superpower. Like, yes. And now the white, white headphones and uh, continue with the iPhone and even in the AirPods as well. So uh, just, uh, you know, it's pretty neat to see. Yeah, I still remember. I never actually owned one of those original ones. My friend let me his original iPod. I think it was silly enough to listen to the Da Vinci Code on audiobook. But it blew my mind because, well, I, I had MP3 players before. And, you know, they held like 20 tracks or something. It was fairly minimal and small. But the scroll wheel, all of it was just, it kind of blew my mind. Uh, and I just sort of sat there. I remember sitting there after listening to that book, like, 
just scrolling through the wheel, like listening to the music and really just scrolling through the wheel because it just seemed like such a, a cool tactile thing. Yeah, it's a uh, visceral feeling. It's like, well, yeah, you, we totally. could have just had buttons. We could have had all that. But that wheel set it apart. Most people, when they saw the face of the device, they were like, is that a speaker? Like they didn't even know what right. that thing was, especially in the early ones um, before there were labels on it. And so that was really, really neat. And, you know, it just set it apart from all the myriad of gadgets that were all black and buttons and screens. And they were all kind of they looked all about the same. This really stood out and caught your attention and said, hey, it's, this is something new. Check it out. I'm curious. Do you do you still use an iPod? Uh, from time to time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've gotten used to I love to do it because it's still like a window of time of my music library. And so you leave it that way. And, you know, we have them in cars or whatever. So it's like you kind of jack in and you're like, I'm just right back to early 2000s music and the music before that. You know, today I'm still, you know, like streaming because I consume so much music and I want to learn about all kinds of new stuff. So I'm I'm streaming, streaming. But on those certain times when you want to go back, it's nostalgia. It's kind of like a really great mixtape. You know, it's like, bam, there it is. That That's a great segue because I do want to take us back Past that original October 23rd, 2001 launch date, uh, I'm curious if you could share a couple of stories about really what it was like putting this thing together and really what it was like presenting this idea to Steve Jobs for the first time. Well, I, I think, you know, it first all started with, you know, you have to, you have to know that the iPod would have never existed without iTunes iTunes started it all, right? And Jeff Robin and his team was were purchased, I think it was called Sound Jam, was purchased by Apple. And iTunes was, was it for Apple at the time on the IMAX, you know, the candy-colored IMAX. And uh, then they were, they were really trying to figure out how to get MP3 players like the ones you mentioned, you know, to hook up to iTunes so you could just take the music everywhere. You didn't have to burn CDs. Uh, if people out there in this world know what that means, uh, you didn't have to burn CDs anymore. So, so all of the things were failing. And that's when I got a call and it was to consult um, because I had been doing all kinds of handhelds at the time and, and, and for the last 10 years of my career, actually, and I had a startup doing music products, digital music products. And so I got a call saying, hey, would you come and consult at Apple? And uh, I was like, ah, oh, and it was a really tough time to get funding and all that stuff because of the internet crunch of 2000. So there was no more money, especially for hardware startups, hardware, software, digital startups. And it's like, no, it was all about saving the internet 1.0 companies. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go there. I'm going to consult. I'll make some money and we'll keep the, my, my company going. Well, what turned out to be, you know, very quickly after the first meeting was, okay, we're thinking, what would, it, what would an Apple version of a MP3 player look like? And then over a course of literally six weeks, six, seven weeks, went out and took all the research I had from my startup few systems, took all that research, plus updated, refreshed it with a few more things, and threw together a, a whole smorgasbord of different options and narrowed it down with the right pricing, size, battery life, all of those things to really three options. And so those three options were then, you know, around the end of end of March in 2001. That's when I presented with Stan Eng and Stan Eng was the product manager at the time and great guy. And uh, uh, I presented to Steve the, the, the three different concepts with Stan and went through all of that. And and so luckily, um, you know, that it, that was an amazing feeling. Right. To be able to do that now to get ready for that. 
Luckily, Stan had been a few of these, right? Because he had been at Apple and I was just a consultant. And I had known, I met Steve a couple of times before and I heard a lot of stories about him from the company I worked with previously was General Magic, which was the Mac team who, you know, helped basically to help. They did. They built the Mac with Steve back in 82, 83, 84. And so, um, so they told me all the stories of what happened with Steve back then. So I, those were ingrained in my brain, burnt into my brain. And so I was like, I'm going in, I'm like nervous and what have you, you know, and, and Stan's like, we got the slide deck. Don't worry. So we go in this, in the room and there's, you know, there's uh, a few people there and uh, Bill Schiller was one of them and uh, Jeff Robin was in there and Steve, of course. And so we start to, you know, hand out the, hand out the papers, the, the presentations, because there were no projectors or keynote or any of that stuff at the time. So you handed out the papers and uh, presentation and then Steve went out and furiously looked through it. And then he goes, tossed it aside and said, okay, here's what I want to do. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, here we go. Now the whole presentation's been thrown out. Where are we going to go with this, right? But no, literally, we ran, we, we we went right into the presentation and went through things. And he turned back and picked up the slides, and we walked through it. And um, at the end of the meeting, uh, you know, as Stan had coached me, the first one, make sure you put your worst model first. Your second one, a little bit better. Your third one's the one you want to show. That's the right one. And I made a styrofoam model of it, weighted it with my grandfather's fishing weights, all that stuff, and had it there. And Steve was picked it up and he's like, we're building this and you're now going to join us to build it. And I was like, whoa, I was like, <laughs> wait a second. You know, this one, remember, we have to remember, Apple wasn't like it was today back then, right? So to go to Apple, you had to be pretty nuts because Apple was very much in debt. It was barely mm -hmm. break even quarter to quarter. It had barely... a. Um, 2% market share in the US for Macs. The worldwide, it was less than that. It was like nothing. There was no retail. There was none of that stuff. So to join Apple and say, I'm going to go do this after 10 years of building devices in Silicon Valley, seeing very limited success to tell you the truth. I'm like, why am I going to go through this again? And so that took some time and two weeks went by, three weeks went by of negotiations and figuring it all out. And then I, I joined the team and, and, uh, and, and ran and built the, the team. And then we, we ran very quickly to, uh, you know, the end of October for, for the, the launch. And then the first ship was the next week. So it was yeah, a crazy, crazy time to do that much work in nine months, depending on how you count. Cause we really didn't get started turning the cranks until May. That's it for part one of our conversation. Stay tuned for the next part tomorrow. In the meantime, you can check out our full iPod anniversary series on CNET.com. If you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at The Daily Charge or send for direct text messages from me by heading to CNET.co slash Daily Charge. And if you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening.